This is The Running Game, a rugby podcast that covers the sport from the ground up. I'm Tim Gilbert and I'm joined by my co-host, Matthew Dunning. Now, you had a couple of double bogeys the other day at uh, Asquith and you weren't happy, mate. What, what's gone wrong? Mate, how can you have five double bogeys? And the worst thing is it's on air now. And, mate, you wouldn't believe it. Dan, our producer, rings me after the first hole after I've had, I've had a double. <laughs> And I'm pin high on a par five for two, and I end up making. How do you? How's that even possible? Anyway, back this week, mate. Uh, hopefully, I can uh, take a bit of Phil Mickelson and uh, get up and down a bit better, and I'll be fine. Maybe play left-handed. Play left-handed. That could that could be the answer. Don't worry. I've I've tried everything, and it still doesn't work. We've got a great show on the way. A long-time journalist. He's a legend when it comes to rugby union. Writes for rugby.com.au. Jim Tucker is with us, and Nick Boozy. He's the head of rugby at Riverview College in Sydney. Sydney, of course, holds uh, a number of jobs, wears a number of hats with Mossman and North Sydney. Nick's with us as well. All right, we're going to head into a bit of schoolboy chat again, talk about the GPS, which isn't too far away. Of course, they're playing trial games at the moment. But, Maddie, what about your schoolboy career? Tell me more. Yeah, look, I, I didn't come through the traditional path. I guess I did come through a traditional pathway, just a different pathway than the GPS system. I went to a 400 co-ed school in Arcadia. It's actually in Fiddletown. It's called North Home Grammar School. And we didn't play Saturday sport. So I played for Eastwood. I was playing Eastwood Colts uh, when I was in year 12. And uh, the way I sort of made the pathway through into sort of New South Wales and Australian school was a bit different. Uh, there was a mid-year test series and sort of touring side. The Irish came over mid-year and, and Joey's Newington and I think one other Riverview wouldn't make themselves available. So there's a you know 115 kilo kid playing first and second grade Colts at Eastwood front rower. So they they gave me a, a go at the trial and I got picked in the side and uh, you know from there got selected later in the year and and went through made Australian schoolboys for there and it was a, a great 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 memories. You know I played Australian uh, Australian schoolboys, but before that I was playing in the New South Wales ones and we played Queensland and still had the fierce competition. I remember playing the Queensland ones in in the, in the in what would have been the final. At Concord Oval, it was a tight tussle, and um, funny story. Actually, I was playing the game, and I I felt this finger go in my mouth as as the fish hooked me. Anyway, this player from Queensland came up squealing and squealing. He's actually his nickname was Porky. He was their hooker, a good bloke. Anyway, uh, he came up squealing and squealing, and uh, and he said, "You know, referee, someone's bit me. Someone's bit me. Someone's bit me." Anyway, the referee went to our captain, Tim Rapp, who, uh, who uh, he said, Tim, someone's bit his finger, mate. Can you have a word to your players? This is not on. I didn't see it, but, you know, if we find out, that's it's not on. Anyway, Tim Rapp came up to me. I don't know why he came up to me first. And he goes, Matty, did you bite him? I said, no, I swear I didn't bite him. I didn't bite him. And he said, well, just before we go and tell the referee that, and he pulled my jersey up and wiped blood from my chin. But in all, in all, in all my defence, he did fish hook me, and we, we spoke about it after. Me and Porky are still good mates, but that's my, uh, that's my story. Well, uh, that's great to, to hear that yarn, and uh, our advice to all young people is just don't do what Matt does. Oh, look, it, it, it was only a little nibble, and it was, it was 20 years ago. So yeah, I'm, just, I'm just surprised you couldn't wait to go to Macca's or KFC because they're, they're right there next to Concord Oval. All right, this is The Running Game. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jim Tucker, rugby journalist, legend of the game of rugby union. Well, one of the great rugby union journalists, his name is Jim Tucker. 
Tucker. Now, Jimmy first covered the sport back in 1979 when the Wallabies took on the All Blacks at the SCG, and he joins us right now. How are you, Jim? Mate, uh, very good, Tim, and uh, Matt as well. Great to have you on, Jim. Now, look, rugby journos and players don't always get along. I had numerous voodoo dolls for many journalists, but never with you, Jim. You never seemed to have any dramas with any players. What what kept you so uh, likable when you when, with the players? What was your, what was your, what did you do to do that? Well, I, I called you the mission on man up in Queensland, and you didn't read my newspaper, so uh, <laughs> that, that was okay. Oh, now I don't like you anymore, mate. Jeez, it's a bit rich. <laughs> no. Um, Mate, I, I think it's just uh, common uh, common respect. Like if someone says, I'm giving you some information off the record, that's what off the record means. You're just getting backgrounded for your own information to improve your knowledge and coverage of any sport. And I did a lot of test cricket through some of those times when Warney and the War Brothers, Glenn McGrath were going around the world and you really had to respect the distance you could go. And I mean, it was pretty obvious, really. I mean, you... Any journo could get 100 stories and lose 100 contacts in, in 10 days. But you, you, you work out, you want to play the long game and find out more about the game and enjoy the game as well because uh, most sports writers uh, thoroughly enjoy covering their sports as well. Well, that's it, isn't it, Jimmy? You and I worked together a lot, particularly in the old days. You need to think about the end game. And I suppose that's a, a, look, a little bit of an anecdote for, for, the, the, for the sport as a, as a wider sport. You know, you can't just go for the sugar hit every time. Oh, completely. I mean, uh, we get tired of saying it about clickbait and uh, and whatever but some of the best read sports stories are those stories that people have spent time on to find out the background of certain players what really makes them tick uh some sadly have had uh mental health issues or uh their families intensely meaningful uh, to them in in the way they've come from nothing to play for their country and people love those stories now right now Two guys, they're twins, Richie and Rory Arnold. They've just, they're the champions of Europe with Toulouse. And they started at Mwilumbar for the gentlemen of Mwilumbar. Didn't even have a first grade team. Rory couldn't get a pair of size 17 boots to fit him. Sorry, borrowed boots. And now they're the champions of Europe. I mean, that is a fantastic story. Wow. No, and that's what I love about you, Jim. Like, you you know, a lot of journos wouldn't be allowed in the change room and there wasn't an occasion, I don't think, too often that uh, you weren't allowed in and uh, hence the reason you've had such a long career in the game. And uh, from a rugby point of view, Jim, you've seen rugby go, you know, full circle, amateur through to professional, through to Wallaby success, Wallaby not success. Mate, how do you see the game today and not just the professional level but at all levels? How do you see Australian rugby as a whole? Uh, that, that's a really good question, Matt. I I'll start from the grassroots. I see Shoot Shield and uh, Queensland's uh, Premier Rugby competition in really healthy situations at the moment. Uh, people, even when they lost a bit of faith with uh, the Wallabies and some of their Super Rugby sides, they still love the game of rugby and they go back to school footy or they go back to their clubs where they get a, a burger and a cheap beer, no parking problems, go in, see a game, meet their mates and have a warm, fuzzy feeling about just seeing their club play. And that cannot be lost in any equation. And I, I really feel one of the, the big uh, improvements that uh, Australian rugby's made has been reconnecting uh, with the clubs because the Stan Sports Rugby deal wasn't just Super Rugby, wasn't just the Wallabies. One of the biggest winners has been uh, the club footy because you can 
on demand. You can turn it on and catch up with your club. And even if you don't see it on the Saturday, you might watch it Sunday morning or watch a little highlights package. And that's just invaluable to just keep spreading the word. Well, how, how do you see the whole stand deal? Oh, that, that's a good one. I, I just think uh, as much as I admired many parts of the Fox coverage and um, listening to Greg Clark uh, became such a staple for all of us listening to, to rugby and he had the voice on so many of the great Wallaby moments. But I think uh, rugby needed a change with the turmoil and chaos of brought on by the pandemic last year. Rugby and, and rugby's own um, chaos, I guess, in, at head office, they needed something different. And I think Stan uh, provided that. People saw that rugby was doing something different. And I think the free-to-air component's been unbelievably positive. And even last weekend when uh, Stan were quick enough on their feet to cover 12 games of sevens rugby, the Australian women's and men's teams were over in New Zealand and they found a way to get them on uh, the streaming service. So that was a real positive. And the the numbers quoted for the Super Rugby final, over 400,000 viewers, that didn't even include Stan uh, followers. So that was the free-to-air component uh, on Channel 9. So real ups there. So uh, that that's that Stan uh, kickstart. And it has given, I guess, rugby at the top end, uh, a fresh look. So, Jim, my only criticism with Stan is I've gone back and they show all the old games. You know, so they've got all the old games on there. You can watch the old test matches. And I've been watching some of my games and I they're, not, they're on, like, really slow. I'm watching myself run and they, it just seems that I was a lot slower than I remember. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm only joking. What I mean is that I reckon the Stan's been great. Totally agree with you. And being to watch the old games on library in such quality, that's that's you know, that's, that's great. I think it's it's really helping growing rugby and, and kids getting in it to see older players and see how the game's developed I guess moving on from that talking about the professional game right now today obviously we know the great final between the Reds and the Brumbies uh, great for rugby and a good quality match now we're moving into that trans-Tasman and you know I think the Brumbies have been competitive but the other teams have struggled how do you see Australian rugby at the top level right now? Well I guess the first thing to say is the Kiwis can't put 75 players on the field at one time. Like their depth is unmatched. And I think we've seen that the ledger 0 10 after two rounds of trans Tasman rugby. And some of the rugby they played has been breathtaking. But Australian sides have always, and this goes back to the 1960s when Queensland sent teams over to New Zealand to learn and I think the best learning that Australian sides ever get is to play a good Kiwi team. Matt, you you played against the Chiefs. You played against um, the Blues over in Auckland. You just learn something every time. And you, you can see some really hard lessons in these first two weeks of trans-Tasman rugby. I watched the Crusaders from the, the stands last weekend. They used every inch of that 70-metre wide field to space out the Reds' defenders uh, totally rehearsed the big forwards would charge up, take a step into the defence, draw in two defenders and then pop a offload to a, a fast uh, support player and through the line. And that's just beautifully rehearsed skills. And I think even Australians could acknowledge how good that really was. And, of course, you have Richie Mwanga. I mean, he's up there with the best in the world. Uh, I suppose I'm talking about the Kiwis and giving them a wrap. Uh, I, I think Australia... Their rugby's in good shape because what we have seen flushed out are some significant players this year. Tom Wright from the Brumbies has got better and better. 
Uh, Rob Valentini has been a beast, really good. Uh, Harry Wilson in a losing side, what, 13 runs, 99 metres, that brilliant Matt Dunning style, dazzle, right hand, uh, tease to the defence and then running 50 metres to score a try. That's brilliant stuff. So we're seeing some good players and Vunavalu, like he stepped up against the Kiwis. I mean, what do you think of him? Yeah, he, he's amazing, and we saw it in rugby league with with Melbourne Suliasu Vunivalu, and as he as he gets more and more time in rugby union, I think he's just going to get better and better and better. Um, look, Jimmy, I love listening to you, I love chatting with you, and there there really is a sense of optimism in and around the game, and I think uh, the, the Cadbury deal is going to help. I mean, obviously they've got the chocolates, and there's always going to be all these lines. It wouldn't help me any. Well, I wouldn't have played, but if for me, <laughs> don't worry, I'm fading away to a block of flats. But that but that's a great deal, like. To, to, to to lose a big iconic deal like Qantas, but to have another one come in, that's all very positive. So, you know, there's things to really be bright about because there was a time, and it wasn't that long ago, that I think everyone was in the doldrums about looking at the future of the game. That's totally true. Everyone thought there's no sponsor after Qantas, uh, there's no TV deal, and, and suddenly we've got a three-year deal with uh, Stan Sports, so that will be ne- renegotiated from a position of strength because the next uh, iteration of that will take in the British and Irish Lions tour mm. in 2025 uh, and Matthew played against the Lions team that, this, that's a stupendous um, tour to come into Australia uh, the Cabri deals for five years so that's really strong and uh, I'll just give an inkling last week they had the launch of the uh, Australian Rugby World Cup 2027 bid in Sydney uh, you haven't seen as many rugby media around uh, at the Harbourside uh, location in Sydney uh, last Thursday for a long time. And there was excitement in the air because Australia looks very much like in the box seat, very much like Brisbane for the uh, Olympic Games in 2032. Mm. And we were all part of that brilliant 2003 World Cup in Australia. And it just turbocharged parts of Australia and kids' imaginations and uh, people having a little drink uh, down in Darling Harbour. It, it mm-hmm. turbocharged everything. And that is desperately what Australian rugby does need, a, a really big occasion, a big event like that. Jim, couldn't agree more with your comments on on, on rugby. I think we're on the way up and and uh, I, I think the stand, everything you've said is, is right on the mark. If, if you had to, from an outsider looking in or an insider looking in, because obviously you're right for um, uh, Rugby Australia, where do you, if there's anywhere to improve, where do you think we can? Is there any holes that you think we could fill that we could just, you know, be even better than we are at the moment? I, I think I've always thought young footballers should play club rugby. So I'm not a big fan of Australian under-20 players being cocooned away in the under-20 program. I think those players should be uh, cutting their teeth in Shoot Shield and uh, Premier Rugby in Queensland getting as much experience with adults as possible to make that transition more smooth. One element I really think the Crusaders show, they haven't had a dip for 10 years. The Waratahs won a premiership and went to rock bottom. The Queensland Reds won a title and went to rock bottom. Why should that be the case? There has to be some intellectual property retained from winning eras to take out those really savage dips. Uh, that that is probably one thing I think that should be transferred. There's got to be more uh, done to retain good coaches in Australia. Like you've got Darren Coleman over in LA at the moment doing well. Um, There's other coaches around the place that need to be embraced with uh, more opportunities in Australia. 
Jimmy, well said. Look, it was in purgatory for a while, but the game they play in heaven is heading back. And it's uh, look, it's great to see that there are some real green sprouts and always good to talk to you. And we look forward to reading your articles at rugby.com.au. Mate, that's great, Tim. And, and Matt, really good to talk to you because it's important that we have former Wallabies being a voice in the game and people who know about the game and, and what's short-term and what's long-term and what's a cancer and what, what is just a, a Band-Aid problem. So uh, ups to you, Matt, for, for getting involved and um, you'll, you'll have a big uh, role to play all the way to 2027. How exciting would that be? World Matt, Cup thanks. in Australia. Mate, I can't wait, Jim, and thank you so much for coming on. You were definitely my favourite journalist until I heard the Michelin Man comment, but you're still second, so it's all right. <laughs> favourite bald-headed red uh, journalist. <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, with a sweet golf swing. Catch you soon, Jimmy. Cheers, mate. Coming up on The Running Game, we have the head of rugby at St. Ignatius College, Riverview, Nick Boozy. Well, one of the schools in Australia that has an enormously strong rugby history and, uh, look, they've always had good teams, Riverview, and it's great to have their director of rugby with us today on The Running Game. Nick Boozy, how are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to having a bit of a chat about a game we all love and have a huge passion for. G'day, Nick. How are you, mate? Um, we go way back from the Macquarie uh, rugby camp days, mate. Um how how's Review Rugby looking this year? Obviously, you've been there about three years now. How, how's it looking this year? Um, no, we're looking good. So we, um, our numbers are very strong. I mean, we've got probably about a 770 players turning up every week. Um, so our numbers are, are strong, um, like with anything. Uh, it's great to have great numbers, but it's um, from there we've just got to get the coaching right and make sure we're all being looked after and uh, the kids are enjoying themselves. So, no, numbers are great, really healthy. Nick, what does it take to become a really successful player at the highest level in one of those GPS schools? Can you put a bit of perspective in and around that? Because uh, lots of the cl- the teams and the schools like yours and Joey's and others have teams, sometimes 13, 14 teams in opens. Yeah. Um, we put a lot of thought into what we need to do. So I arrived at the college in 2019 as coaching coordinator in the junior sort of ages, 14s and below. Um, Now I'm sort of overseeing the whole program. What it takes to be successful is, is time on a skill. I mean, there's no denying the fact, let's put it in, in context here. Let's talk about a swimmer. If the swimmer trains twice a week, there's going to be no improvement. There's going to be a plateau. It's all about the mastery of, of hours on skill, 10,000 they say to master it. I found that we weren't training enough, to be honest, and the times that we weren't training just wasn't quality. So we've we've put a lot of effort into the changing on how we train at the college. And this year's been the first year we've really done a shift in how we train. We've broken our, our teams up into performance teams, which is the A-teams. We've got the development teams, which are our BC teams, and identified the Ds and EFG as enjoyment rugby. And we we approach those teams very differently. Um, And that's the way we're looking at to create kids to stay in the game for one, but also the safety side of things. So, Nick, we, we heard a couple of years ago about, obviously, AFL was a big story, but AFL infiltrating the GPS system. Was it a beat-up? Is, is that sort of happening? Is rugby still strong? And I, I know Review was one of the schools they named about the posts and, you know, you know what the media's like, that they get in the way of a good story. Well, what, what, what's the truth behind that? 
Well, from from my idea, coming into a college like Riverview, that was my impression. My impression was it's it's on, it's it's game on, it's really really growing. And not to take anything away from AFL, it's great to see the kids out there playing the game. But the unfortunate thing is um, at, at Riverview, we've got a we've got a great program, and there's about 135 kids playing the game of AFL. So. The numbers aren't huge. I'm not across all the other schools, but I know at Review there's about 135 compared to 760 playing rugby. So I dare say it's there and it's present, but it's certainly not what I think the perception is across um, all the schools. I, don't, I really don't think it's there. I think the numbers are still pretty low. You've, you've been around this game for, for a long time now, Nick, and as a player you played first 15 for Knox as well as a lot of other rugby. You've coached at lots and lots of levels, particularly junior representative. You had that long-term program with Macquarie. Um, are you optimistic about the game of rugby union? Very. I, I really think the the top level, I mean, we, what we've got to be careful of is we just don't measure rugby about what the Wallabies are doing. And and I I fear that that's a, that's a real issue. And and that crosses over us to sometimes our perceptions of rugby programs in schools. It's not all about what the first 15 do. And we've got to be really, really careful in judging what programs are around schools, clubs, about what the A or first grade or first 15 teams do. So in terms of what the program's about, we we – I'm very optimistic. Our numbers are great. I know Joey's, well, I speak to Andrew Blades at Joey's. Numbers are very strong. The, the numbers at Shaw are very strong. And, I mean, unfortunately, Shaw cop a bit of a rap that the program isn't right, but they've got great numbers and they're doing all they can. And it's not about measuring just what the first 15 do. So I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic that there's a lot of passionate rugby administrators out there in schools, in club. I'm very involved at Mossman. We work tirelessly to get numbers and, 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 and create some good coaching around the, the team. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. So, Nick, I really like your comments on participation. I think participations in rugby and community engagement is, is something that really needed to improve, and that, that's an area we're getting right, and we're getting it right through people like you in, in junior rugby. We're getting it right through Stan. Um, any other ways we can improve it? Is, is there anything you see, you know, we're doing a great job, I think, on many levels, but it's always good to know someone who's been in, ga- in the game so long. Is, is, there any, is there any broad ideas that we can even get even better? My big, big, big thing is, is coaching. Coaching to me is huge. We, we really need to get our coach head right, and I think we're nowhere near getting our coach head right. So just so you cross it, guys, we – at Mossman Junior Rugby, we are putting as much time through myself and my role at the club to coach the coaches. So we do at least one night a week now where I do specialised coach ed programs. So because the better coaches can't be everywhere, so it's just about empowering and coaching the coaches. And that is that is a big red flag in um, clubs, not as much as in schools. It's, it's a massive problem in schools getting the coaches and now the shoot shield have changed the way they structure their Saturdays to get our coaches there on a Saturday, the old boys, the current boys playing rugby. It's near impossible. We're, we're changing fixtures daily so we can have current players coaching the kids, which is paramount. 
Yeah, and it's extraordinary the ability that's in young players at the moment, isn't it? We we do have some really good talent coming through. And I know that you're coaching the Norths under-12s. I've got a young bloke at Eastwood under-12s. But I watch that week in, week out. And, and look, I played a lot of league. I, I didn't play a lot of union. But I, I can tell when there's talent on board and there's lots of it. Oh, there's plenty of talent. I mean, I watch, I watch a lot of rugby on the weekend. I'll see up to 40 games a weekend. And the talent is incredible. And it's, like I said, the talent's there, there's enthusiasm, there's passion, uh, the participation is, is, is very, very good. We've just got to educate. I mean, it's, and, it, and it's paramount we educate the right way. Any specific holes? Is, it like, is there any specific holes in that coach education? Is there, is, there, is, there, is there scrummaging stuff? Is there anything in particular you put your finger on it as well? I know I'm sort of pushing, pushing the point, but I reckon it's really important because it's a great point. Yeah, and we, we go, we're going hard at specialist coaching. So we'll have specialists. We're trying to push. There's only so much you can do both at club and school. So we're going down the path of doing a lot of um, specialist coaching at the school and at the club. So we'll, we've got a scrum squad or scrum school happening at Mossman Junior Rugby Club that um, one of our very, very talented coaches runs. Um, so we've identified that. We do a lot of because of COVID, we do a lot of like catch and pass, so we're specialising that. So, look, I think I think we need to look at training very differently to what it has been. Um, just to get together with your thirteen A's and just run through the motions isn't going to cut it anymore. You've got to be really innovative in how you run each session. So, like I said, we we have all our A teams training one afternoon together or a morning. So our sixteen A's will train with the fifteen A's at Riverview. And our 13 A's will train with our 14 A's. And that's above and beyond what they're doing in their own session. And that allows some specialist coaching going on during those sessions. How magical is the whole GPS competition? Because, look, it's talked about that it rivals other sort of professional competitions when you think of support and the people that get in and around it. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm only new to the GPS. I obviously have been around watching it from afar, but now I'm – involved in it, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible feeling. And we, last year, you can't draw too many conclusions because it was just one of those years there was there was nobody around. But just to be involved in a few games in the last few weeks where we've had crowds, we've had the schoolboys cheering the players on, it's it's fever pitch. I mean, we, we had a really, really good game against Barker on the weekend and it was it's really special. And we start our GPS comp on the 5th of June. Um, against Shaw, and I thoroughly look forward to what that's going to bring. And, and it is, it, it's pretty special. And, and Nick, how did, how did you guys go against Barker? Barker have been touted as one of the best sides this year running around. How did, how did Riverview go against one of the top schools this year? Uh, we, um, we, it was a great tussle. I mean, every bit of feedback I've got from people who've watched it from afar, um, it was a great game. We, we came away with a win, uh, 24-18. I think we ended up in the last three or four minutes with about 35 phases of ball to score in the corner, so to win it. So the boys, it was a great game. It was a really good tussle. Barker are a fantastic team, as, as are Knox the week before, but we uh, we just came away on the weekend with a win. Just We stayed in the game, which is really pleasing. That's a great result. And what would be a good result for, for Riverview for the GPS? Uh, well, I'm sure you could all answer that. <laughs> I think it would be pretty special. I think we've got a really special group of coaches that, that have got got the kids in the right set frame of mind, that the players are getting that belief 
Um, you know, a lot they've got a lot on their plates, these senior boys, and we ask a lot of them. Um, they are semi-professional, some of them, and what, what we expect them to do. So they've put the time and effort in. Now we've just got to sort of hope a few things go our way and, you know, it's going to be a great tussle. I could think of nothing better than a Joey's Riverview to see who wins the premiership on uh, on the 7th of August. Yeah, well, that's that's the question. I, I could answer it, but I just wanted to find out whether you think your team's got the ability to do it. Yes, we do. Beautiful. Thanks, Nick. Really enjoyed having you on the on the podcast this week. Really good insight and uh, hope uh, Review can uh, go all the way this Are year. you there? In all grades, not just first. No, I agree. I, we'd love to go go well in all grades. That's what the program's all about. You know, your 13 Fs are in, as important as our first 15 boys. Good to talk to you, mate. Take care. That's it for The Running Game this week. We'll be with you every week with some more rugby chat, great interviews. Follow us on your favourite podcast app. Thank you to today's guests, Jim Tucker and Nick Boozy. Thank you to our sponsors, Spartan Sports, and, of course, our wonderful producer, Dan McHugh. We will see you next week, Matty. Can't wait, Timmy. Have a good week.